It's time for episode 539 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast where if we see our shadow, there's 30 more minutes of the show. My name is Dan Morin, and I am joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my friend in times of need. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. Hi. I was looking around for my shadow, and I don't see it. So that's good, because we're just going to do a 30-minute show. Also, it's not an hour long. Creepy <sighs> is the other part of that. If you don't have a shadow, I would get worried if I were you. Where is it? Oh, What's dear. it doing? Where did where did it go? Oh, Peter, it's on the ceiling. This is oh, some Peter golly. Pan stuff happening. Uh, <laughs> to my left this week, the first of our two fantastic guests, the chief podcaster at podfeet.com, Allison Sheridan. Welcome back, Allison. Howdy, guys. I was just listening the other day. I thought, hey, I haven't been on the show in a long time. And then I got invited. It's so exciting. The psychic waves worked. Well done. <laughs> and to my left, managing editor at Max Stories, it's John Voorhees. Welcome back, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Hello, everybody. I hope you're having a good day. All right. Let me kick things off. Uh, let's start with the third rail of current Apple discourse. <laughs> Apple's proposal to the European Union for the Digital Markets Act compliance I'm curious to know if you feel like the changes Apple has laid out, which admittedly are not necessarily the ones the EU will accept, um, but whether these are sort of meaningful changes or is this just a poison pill, something designed to get people to stick with the existing terms by making the alternatives unpalatable, or is there something else that I am missing? Allison, why don't we start with you? One thing that surprised me was that there are three fairly meaningful changes worldwide, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about that, that the biggest of those is allowing gaming apps to stream within their app. The way they had it set up before was just, that was just nonsense. I, I didn't agree with that at all. The other thing that's a little bit interesting worldwide is that developers will be allowed to sell plugins through the app store as in-app purchases. I think that might be kind of nifty. That might be useful, not, not ground uh, shaking or anything like that. And I don't see the overall compliance as a poison pill. I always look at this as like when they talk about money, for example, with Apple, when you're doing your taxes, do you look at a at a, at a way to save money and think, mm, boy, that doesn't feel morally correct. I don't think I'm going to use that exemption that I could use. Mm. No, you, you do whatever you possibly can to pay as little as you can. So I don't see why Apple would go out of the way to make any of this easy if it's something they don't really want to do. Um, the other thing is, it seems to be the giant companies who are really annoyed and they're really, really loud. You know, your Spotify's, for example, they're they're just loud right now and annoying. And I don't hear the smaller developers for themselves being all that annoyed. I hear them saying, yeah, I'm just not going to do this, which might get back to your poison pill question. And then the answer would be yes to that. So what I would really hope for was something like the DMA proposal that, that being allowed these third-party marketplaces is that we could get an app like, I don't know, Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba on our phones. That's the kind of change I'd really like to see. And maybe this would allow it. Yeah, I think overall, uh, not incredibly meaningful changes. Um, I'm not sure if it's a poison pill, perhaps, but one of the changes that I'd love to see make its way global is the change to the browser engine situation in the EU now, where uh, soon a third-party browser will be able to use 
its own browser engine as opposed to having to use uh, WebKit in the background. I think that's something that Apple should just allow in general, uh, you know, in its sort of rundown of, of everything. It would always sort of explain what changes were taking place and then explain why those changes were bad and why the changes were bad in terms of uh, browser engines. It was mostly about the idea that uh, they can't promise performance. It could mean that your battery dies sooner. If that's the worst thing you could say about it, I think that other browser engines should be given the right to uh, exist on our devices, regardless of where we live. Um, But overall, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm really trying to see how this plays out. And more importantly, Dan, as you said, see whether the changes that have been announced are going to be enough uh, and that that's all Apple has to do uh, in response to what the EU has mandated. John, what are your thoughts? So I, I think that they are, they're both. I think the answer is yes, but maybe not in the way that the question was framed as. What I mean is that it is a meaningful change, but it's meaningful in the sense that Apple hasn't had to do this kind of thing before, and they're doing this kicking and screaming. They don't want to make these changes, yet they have uh, created over 600 APIs to allow this to happen in the European Union. And what that says to me is that eventually we're going to get to a place where other places around the world are going to require some opening of iOS and some of these other changes that are happening in the EU. It probably won't look like what we saw last week. It'll probably be different in the EU even because this is really just a proposal more than anything else. But now that those APIs are there and the world knows that, change can happen. And I think it will happen, but it'll just take a while. In terms of a poison pill, I think it is for the big companies. I think it is for Facebook and Spotify and you know anybody who's doing free-to-play games and has... Uh, you know, in-app purchases that are making a lot of money. Apple doesn't want to lose that stuff. I mean, the reality of the app store is that the money is made with free-to-play idle games. It's not made by a lot of the apps that we cover, for instance, on Mac Stories. It's That is a drop in the bucket compared to the games, and they don't want to lose that from the app store. And so I think it is designed more than anything else to address the big players on the app store, which is probably not the apps that we think about as often as maybe, at least me personally, I don't think about them as often as I do, you know, kind of the idle clicker games. I, you know, I think that's really well put, John. Yes, I, I did phrase the question overly simply, <laughs> simplistically for sure. But I think I think that's a really interesting point. And it's something that I keep gravitating back to is the fact that Apple does keep stressing how few people this it believes it will affect. And of course, people can stay on the existing terms. Um, to me, I agree. This is totally targeted at companies like Meta and Spotify and even, you know, Epic before it decided to take its ball and go home, uh, which is to say allowing, you know, the, the situation that allows them to have free apps and for Apple not to get a dime off all the money they're making. Um, what is interesting about this is also, you know, I, I think that it, it's it's intriguing to see how this is structured in such a way that, you know, again, as, as you discussed, that they had to go out of their way to do a lot of these changes. And it shows us that they are actually putting some thought into how this would work and making it work within the framework they have available, rather than just making it a free-for-all where anybody could, uh, you know, sideload whatever apps you want, um, which would just, I think, lead to much more chaos. Uh, It's interesting also to see the distinction between people like us talking about this, and I think we often look at it from a very developer-centric point of view, I think, because many of us know many developers and some of us have worked as developers. Um, 
But from a user perspective, it's kind of interesting to see the you know response to it as well. The concerns to people who responded to me about this were overwhelmingly about security and about how they thought this was bad because it loosened security, which is intriguing. I do wonder what, how much that's true because I wonder how many people will end up going outside of the app store. You know, they're worried less about the business turns because it doesn't really make a difference to them, right? I mean, the things that make a difference to them are the having the choice to go to another marketplace or the choice to use another browser, but they are not as concerned about the business terms because most of them aren't even aware of the business terms. The biggest question that remains for me looking at this, and you know, you sort of alluded to this, John, when talking about sort of changes that could be made elsewhere is... I'm fascinated to see Apple's choice of lowering its commission, um, which, yes, is somewhat offset by the introduction of the core technology fee. But bear in mind, of course, that doesn't hit until people distribute a million apps. So they're kind of tacitly admitting that we don't need to charge this fee, you know, commission that's this high for most apps, because for most apps, it doesn't really matter. Again, the target is the big companies. So I am curious to see if that ends up informing any changes, maybe, you know, alterations to the small business program, for example, or ways to sort of reduce the load on independent and small developers while refactoring it to be more challenging or at least, um, you know, require some recompense from the big players in the market. So I think the interesting thing overall is that the EU is kind of a test bed and we're going to see how this plays out and that will dictate to a certain extent what changes come to other places around the world and what those changes look like. Thank you all for, for distilling that into a really quick few minutes. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Allison. I'm wondering whether you've all gotten into the portable monitor craze, these USB-C displays that you can stick uh, plug into your laptop when you're being a road warrior. They're thin, they're light. I'm curious whether uh, any of you have played with them and what you think of them. Are you sporting 1080p, OLED, 4K? Which ones do you like? Uh, I've considered this. I have a coworker who uh, has one that is, I believe, 4K in USB-C, and he'll regularly sit his laptop down uh, somewhere because he's pretty mobile around the office. And so he'll sit his laptop down somewhere and then uh, plug this in and have the two screens going at the same time. And it seems uh, like a delightful experience. I just don't currently have any need for it. So I have not played around with it. But I do think that, um, you know, there could come a time where I, I pick up a portable monitor. John, what about you? I love this topic. I, I've been using something called a C-Force 015 Next display <laughs> for about a year and a half. It is a 15.6 inch OLED 4K display. And I use it for all kinds of things. It's really handy to plug into my headless Mac mini that I use as a home server. I use it for playing Nintendo Switch games. And sometimes I use it alongside either an iPad or my Mac laptop. So it's super versatile and flexible, which I like having. The problem with this particular screen is I think the company went out of business. They started as a as a Kickstarter. I couldn't find their website this morning when I was getting ready for the show. So <laughs> oh, that's no. not out there. No, but the one that I am really intrigued by right now what was introduced at CES. It's not available yet, but it's by Asus. And it's called the Zen Screen Fold. And it's an OLED display with a 17.3 inch diagonal size. And it folds in half down to the size of about a MacBook Air. It costs $3,000 too. So I'm probably not going to buy it, but it looks really cool. 
Um, I haven't gotten into this, I think in large part because I do a lot less traveling than I used to. And so as a result, I'm at my desk a lot more and I have a 27 inch studio display there. I've never, I've had multiple monitors in the past, but I've never found myself to be a person who really needs multiple monitors to get stuff done. So I haven't really ended up looking into this. And then when I'm on the go, I usually have my 13 inch MacBook Air. And again, I I worked from an 11-inch Air solely for a super long time for like the better part of a decade. So I'm very used to small screen sizes and making the most of it. I use, you know, uh, spaces a lot and stuff like that. Um, So I don't end up feeling like I really need to do that. Not even then, like I've got an 11-inch iPad Pro. I could use it as an external display for my Mac if I really wanted to, but I just never end up doing it. So for me... I don't have a really good use case because I think it would just be another thing that I have to carry around with me. And I just don't really think I would get enough use out of it. But I'm intrigued by it. And I can see some like places where it might fit into my life. I'm kind of curious to see how the, the state of the art develops there. Allison, why don't you wrap us up? Well, I've gone through uh, quite a few of these and it's been really interesting testing them. Uh, I started with a Cocopar 1080p display. Of, uh, these are all 15.6. It was only 150 bucks. It has a nice little kickstand on the back and I really liked it. But then I found the KYY 4K display, which was only $240. So I gave the Cocopar to my daughter and she does a lot of audits in her company where she has to sit in a conference room all day with, with auditors. And she started using this uh, side display and which she has basically sold about 40 of these because everyone who is a road warrior is like, oh my gosh, that's so useful to have that. Um, I had trouble looking at 1080p though, because that kind of makes my eyes bleed. So I went for the KYY with 4K. Now I really, really like that one, but it's got this big floppy case that that's the stand and it's terrible. I mean, it takes up so much room. So when I'm on the road uh, doing uh, my live show, it's really cumbersome with a microphone and all the stuff. The floppy case is just awful. So I've been testing the uh, Ricoh uh, 1080p, but OLED display, and it's actually on par with the 4K KYY, and, but it's $540. So now I'm looking to the ViewSonic, which is 4K OLED for 500 bucks. I don't have that one yet, but that's what I hope to, to test next. But I think that might be the sweet spot. But I'm telling you, if I have to choose, I will always choose the one that has a kickstand. Don't give me some floopy case. All right. That's two topics down, two topics to go, which of course means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And to tell you about this week's sponsor, I'll turn it over to Micah. Yes, that's because this episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Ecamm. Ecamm Live is the leading video production and live streaming studio built for the Mac. It does all aspects of video. It's not just live streaming. I can't stress that enough. When you hear Ecamm Live, you might think, oh, I've got to be one of those people who goes on uh, live and plays video games or something. No, 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 no. It's great for all sorts of video. It's perfect for simplifying your workflow. Easy enough to get started quickly, but powerful enough that once you get going, you can create just about anything with video all within the Ecamm app. I was able to host my show iOS today over on the Twit network uh, completely from Ecamm because I was able to bring up my iPhone screen next to me and tippity tap around on it and show people what I was talking about while I was on screen. You can layer all sorts of stuff uh, on the screen with you. It is really incredible how powerful this thing is. And at one point I had people calling in, it's got a built-in interview feature and the person was sending me their video. They were sitting in front of a green screen and then I was able to key their video locally on my device and add whatever background uh, the person wanted to that green screen. Very cool stuff. So whether you're streaming, recording, podcasting, or presenting, everything is there in Ecamm, including support for multiple cameras and screen sharing and a live camera switcher that 
lets you direct the show in real time. Oh, I forgot to mention that uh, it will capture the video and audio locally of people if you do that interview uh, feature. You can stand out from the crowd with high quality video, add logos and titles and lower thirds and graphics, share your screen, drop in video clips, bring on interview guests, use a green screen. Ecamm Live does it all. Their members are entrepreneurs, marketing professionals, podcasters, educators, musicians, bloggers, content creators of all kinds. So you out there should absolutely take advantage of this deal. Get one month free today at ecamm.com slash clockwise using the code clockwise. A whole month free of Ecamm Live at ecamm.com slash clockwise with the code clockwise. Go there now. Check it out. I think you'll be impressed at what it's able to do. Our thanks to Ecamm for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, uh, back from the break. And oh, look, it's my topic. Uh, I have been trying out the Arc browser again. I uh, originally signed up for it way back when it first came out and gave it a go and I put it away. I brought it out again recently and I've been trying it and it just made me wonder, um, what browser or browsers are you all using? And then are you using the same browser on your mobile devices as you are on your desktop or laptop? Or do you kind of switch between browsers? John, we'll start with you. I've been testing Arc again myself and I because I was really excited about the mobile version that just came out called Arc Search. And I thought it might be the moment where it would work for me because I'd bounced off it in the past a couple of times. But the fact that it doesn't have an iPad version and that and the nothing syncs between versions of the browser, uh, you know, I put it aside again and I'll 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 revisit it, though, eventually, because it has a lot of really interesting ideas that I like. I've I'm just kind of a diehard safari user i use it all the time on all my platforms i really want the same browser everywhere because it just lowers the overhead of switching between things and safari is so deeply embedded into apple's various platforms that it makes it super easy to use everywhere so yeah safari has been my main browser for a very long time yeah, I think I've been a Safari ride or die for basically like the entire existence of the browser. I do have Chrome installed and I use it for a few sites that don't play as well in Safari. Um, I wish that Safari would, you know, Apple would update Safari and, and basically fix those shortcomings or work with the people who use those kinds of um, frameworks to help make it so I don't have to switch to Chrome for things. Um, but and it's gotten better, but it's still, you know, it's not all the way there yet. So I still end up using Chrome as my backup. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I think, I don't, I don't want to say I'm just because I feel like I'm getting set in my ways or whatever, but like Safari works really well. And I think that what's key to it for me is that it's basically transparent. Like I don't even mm-hmm. think about doing stuff in Safari anymore. And so I do so much work on the web. I spend so much time in a web browser every day that having to relearn that, like, Yes, for the purposes of trying to experiment and try something new, I see the value in it. But at the same time, it's like, I just need to get stuff done. And like, I don't want to be fighting my browser the entire way. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to work pretty hard, I think, for me to dethrone Safari. You're going to have to provide something pretty compelling. And I'm sure Arc has its, uh, you know, draws. But for me, I haven't yet heard of anything that makes me think, oh, yeah, I'm willing to forego all these shortcomings and all the problems. Like John said, no iPad version. That is a big knock against it. you know, you're going to have to work pretty hard to get me to switch away from that. Allison? The thing about Arc Search on the iPhone is it's really, really interesting what it does. It it compiles your 
the results into kind of a, a bulleted thing of here's all the things you might want to know about what you just asked about. And so I think it's really useful for that. But as soon as I hit the no iPad app, I was like, oh, come on. And then there's a the Arc browser on the Mac, but it has nothing to do with Arc search. It doesn't have that. So these three disjointed things, that's going to make me crazy. I may use it for search from time to time because Google search is just really not good anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a, I am a Safari girl all the way, but I keep edge up, uh, when I'm coding because I like to ask copilot for help. And the reason it's really useful for me is I'm bad at remembering terminology. So I can't search for it in a regular search engine because I don't know what the thing I'm trying to describe is called. So in, in copilot, I'll say, how do you do that thing? You know, with an array in JQ, you know, where it lets you just get to everything inside. What's that called? You know, just go look that up for me and it can do it. <laughs> it's really allows you to be very and and get to the right answer. And then I can ask more specific questions and it gives me the links back to Stack Overflow or wherever the data came from. And so that is really useful to me. I also use Microsoft Edge just as a way to thumb my nose at Google Chrome to use it for all the times that Safari can't do something because you got to use Chrome. You Chromium. So I go over and I use Edge. I really think that Arc is a cool browser. I like its ideas, but I just have been a Safari user for so long now. And yes, because it's on every platform that I use, then it's also great for that. But it's what you said, Dan, that that transparency that's there. It's it just it doesn't take up a lot of space, both in my mind and visually. And so it's just kind of in the background. And I feel like a lot of the other browsers are trying to do the most. And Safari seems to be trying to do the least and just get out of my way. Uh, And I quite like that. But there's just something to be said for a new way of thinking about things. And so occasionally I get uh, drawn in by the, ooh, shiny of the Arc browser (laughs) and play around in it. But yeah, nothing has made me stick to it for a a long time. All righty, let us move to our next topic, which comes from John. All right. I was wondering how everyone is managing links these days, whether those links are just for you know, reference purposes, something you want to buy later, something you want to read later, or or like more like a traditional read later app. Like, how are you dealing with the links in your lives, Dan? You know, I used to use Instapaper a long, long time ago. But what I found as with, say, starring things in my RSS reader to go back to is just I never do. It's just a black hole. And, you know, this is not the software's fault. This is my fault. I I just, you know, think, oh, I don't have time to do that right now. I'll put it in this list of things for when I have time. Guess what? I never have any time. Um, So for me, years and years ago, my pal Lex Friedman and I made a joking um, bookmarklet that we called Read It Now, which was when all the Read It Later services were coming out. And you would click Read It Now and it would pop up a dialogue box and it would say, okay, you can read it now. And then you'd click OK. And that was it. And I still to this day, I have it in my in my menu bar still because it makes me laugh every time because it is the service that I need, which is you read it now or you don't read it at all. That's how it's going to work. The only other way that it ever works for me is just leaving tabs open. Uh, and that is really chaotic because like sometimes you accidentally close a browser window and you're like, what were those tabs I had? I don't remember. Well, guess I'll never find out. Anyways, that's my terrible chaos monkey approach. <laughs> Allison, what about you? I think your terrible monkey chaos approach is actually the right approach, because if you leave everything open in tabs 
And then you don't go back. What it allows you to do is you go back and you look at it later and you go, well, I'm not actually that interested. I'm not actually interested enough to spend the time. Let me close the browser. Now you don't have this guilt pile of links that you're never going to go read anyway. I find the whole read it later concept hilarious because I never talk to anybody that doesn't say, oh, yeah, I don't actually read that stuff. It's just I can put it there and I feel better. And I do <laughs> on occasion have the problem where I close the browser window and I lose a bunch of stuff. But it turns out there's a thing in Safari that says, recently closed tabs. And I just go back to that if I realize that I accidentally closed it. So I think it's the perfect system for reading later. And because uh, you're not going to anyway, just come on, everybody admit it. That's that, maybe there's a few people who use it correctly. But uh, and maybe John is that person. I, I have tried a bunch of different systems for reading it later. And what I always end up doing in the end is uh, I just text myself the links that I want to keep. I have an ongoing text thread and it just has links to things that I absolutely want to hold on to. And I can just scroll back and go, oh, right. Yes, I remember I was looking at that Instagram video and it had this cool tutorial. And so I'll quickly grab that. The one that came the closest to sticking with me, I think was called Anybox, uh, because it could do not just links, but also files, things like that. Yeah. In the end, I didn't end up staying with it. It, it just, it's not, none of it, none of it works. And so when there's something that I really want to hold on to, I just text myself. Uh, John, tell us about your amazing solution. <laughs> well, you folks need some help, so I'm here to help you, all right? <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I am here to help. I, I have got two different apps that I use, and the one that Micah just mentioned, Anybox, is one that I've used in the past. It is very good, and I do like the fact that you can drop files in there because it allows you to have kind of a unified system. But in the end, I, I keep things separate. I have... I have uh, raindrop.io, which I'm using mainly for links that are temporary that I'm storing to keep for when we write our weekly newsletter at Mac Stories, or I put things in there that are kind of like the obscure sorts of websites that I know I'll have a hard time finding again in the future, and that's usually easier if I can drop them somewhere, add a few tags, and find them. But when it comes to reading... I have used a bunch of different apps over the years, and I do have the same problem of dropping things in a read later service and then never reading them, which I'm okay with. I kind of used to, used to kind of bother me to have that deep inbox, but I don't really mind anymore. I just leave them in there, but I do read them. I mean, I, I don't read them all, but I do go in there. And right now what I'm using is Omnivore because Omnivore is an open source project that's available on all of Apple's platforms, but also on the web and cross-platform on, you know, things like Android and, and Windows and whatnot. And what I like about that is the flexibility. It also has an, an API. So it makes it very easy to use with apps like Obsidian, where I can go through, I can sit and read on my iPad mini, highlight some text. It'll shoot it over to my Obsidian vault, where I can open up that highlighted text and do a link post on the site or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I do. I do use it because I sit in front of my, at my desk so many hours a day that I do like to kick back and read on like an e-ink tablet or my iPad mini or something at the end of the day when I'm relaxing and trying to catch up on some of those stories that I just didn't have time for in the middle of the day. That is four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. But before we get there, I want to tell you about our other sponsor this week. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by We Got Your Mac, your guide to Mac adoption at scale. Tune in for expert insights from SHI, Apple, and around the business world. 
Remember those Apple commercials, Mac versus PC? Who could forget? But did you know the debate continues to rage in the enterprise? In fact, some analysts speculate the Mac will be the dominant business endpoint by 2030. That's where today's sponsor comes in. We Got Your Mac is a new podcast from SHI, and it's here to help business leaders navigate the fascinating, ever-changing world of Mac in the workplace. From debunking security myths to attracting talent and overcoming adoption pains, you'll discover the ups and downs of delivering Mac at scale. New episodes of We Got Your Mac stream every two weeks, featuring interviews with the experts at Apple, SHI, and from around the C-suite. So what are you waiting for? Make 2024 the year your business puts an end to the Mac versus PC question. Go to WeGotYourMac.com or search for We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts, or just click the link in the show notes. That's WeGotYourMac.com to start listening to new episodes and download free resources today. Our thanks to We Got Your Mac for the support of this show and Relay FM. All right, bonus topic time. If you were hypothetically stuck in a time loop, what would be the first skill or task that you would devote yourself to learning? Allison, we'll start with you. Real easy answer, programming, because I'm kind of a low intermediate right now, and I would just love to be fluent. So if I could be stuck in that time loop for a very long time, that would be awesome. Uh, Same answer as Allison. John? I would study physics so I could get out of the time loop. (laughs) Very (laughs) practical. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, I think I would just devote myself to learning one language at a time. Um, Like I'd first I'd brush up on my French uh, and then, you know, I'd learn, I don't know, Finnish or something. Uh, Something just totally weird and different and like unusual. I don't know. I love languages. So that's ASL. Icelandic. Yeah. ASL. I learn them all eventually. That's my goal. Uh, (laughs) I have to be in that time loop for a really long time. Hey, if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. Just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up for just $5 per month or $50 a year and you'll help support the show. And better yet, if you are a member of Clockwise, you can even suggest an overtime topic for us to talk about on the show. So you should probably go sign up. In this week's overtime topic, we're going to discuss listener Mike's topic, desk technology we can't live without. All right. And with that, we have reached the end of this week's episode. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest, Allison Sheridan. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me on. I love it here. And John Voorhees, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Micah, we'll be back next week in a brand new month and a brand new world where people use the Apple Vision Pro. Will we all be using Apple Vision Pros? I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to tune in to find out. Uh, Thank you, everybody out there for listening. And we remind you, until next time, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.